Hey, if you're a first-time listener to The Self-Made Theory, then great to have you here. My name is Ben Campbell, and I'm the CPO. What does that stand for? The Chief Podcast Officer for The Self-Made Theory. If you're a regular listener in one of our 60-plus countries where our subscribers are, then welcome back. Now on to the episode. I'm not really into super high-end fashion. I've probably not really understood it well enough before now, but I tell you, this is one of the most fascinating interviews that I've done. I talked to Paul Vasiliev, who founded Poilo Sebastian, a couture atelier that has collaborated with the likes of Disney and dressed people like Heidi Klum, Poppy Delevingne, Katy Perry, Kim Kardashian. You get the picture. His work is stunning. In this interview, we talk about how being the very best in your field, perfection may well be the pursuit that will take you there. And how to move from being a solopreneur to hiring your first employee and how to make that work if you're a perfectionist. And for all you year 12 listeners out there, think hard and fast about the research project that you're putting forward. It may just launch you into an international career working with the stars. My name is Ben Campbell and this is The Self-Made Theory. Welcome to The Self-Made Theory. Thank you for having me. We are here in your global headquarters here in Adelaide. <laughs> yes. It's actually the nicest place I've recorded a podcast. Oh, yeah. oh thank you. <laughs> Sorry to all my other guests, but it is pretty fancy in here. Thank you. Well, that's, that's kind of what we go for. I mean, we have a lot of people flying in from all over the world, so it needs to be a place where they can feel comfortable and, I guess, feel that they're away from the city and yeah the world yeah it's its own little world in here it's really lovely thank you so give me the elevator pitch okay um well i guess palace sebastian is really first and foremost it's a, it's a couture brand it's about quality and craftsmanship and i guess the the purpose really of what we do is to give our clients um, and give people in general a sense of a dream and hopefully inspire them to I guess not only, um, you know, want to feel amazing, but have an appreciation for the art and craftsmanship of couture and couture sewing. Um, you know, these are not dresses that are able to be, you know, purchased just ready to wear off a rack. They're, they're custom made for you. So the, the process in making the dress or the garment is just as important as the finished product. Initially, I, I don't think I, I knew in the beginning that this would be the the brand would get to where it is. I mean that that, that was all the, that was always the goal. That was actually my next question because often we you know as founders people don't start out with that vision in mind. Uh, they start out with some other reason. What 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 started it for you? I definitely had this vision from, and even the the vision is isn't even there yet. It's definitely been the same vision since I was ten, yeah. maybe younger. So I, I get asked quite often, "Am I surprised that we are where we are?" And no, I'm not surprised at all. I'm grateful, but certainly this was part of the grand plan of it. And it's kind of, you know, the, the finer details, I had no idea because I had no idea about the fashion industry at all. Hmm. But overall, it's kind of where I expect it to be going because I had no other option or no other backup plan. And I, I always said I want to be based here in Adelaide and I want to give Australia what we see in Europe and in the rest of the world. And I always thought it was such a shame that client, women from Adelaide used to have to go interstate or overseas to, to go shopping. And now we have people from Europe and all over the place flying down here to Adelaide and spending time here in Adelaide. And they all comment what a great city it is. And um, I'm, I'm just really proud of that. And that's sort of a byproduct. I mean, it, it's something that was always really important to me, but I, I didn't realize how proud it would make me feel that mm. people were coming to my state and realizing what a great place it is. Because when I was starting out, everyone was telling me, no way in hell will you be able to be a fashion designer, especially in Adelaide. Did that spur you on? Did that? Yeah, did, did, it kind of, I think, gave me that fuel to... Well, I'll show you. I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that attitude. It's brilliant. And um, and it wasn't in a spiteful sort of sense. It was just in the sense of, or oh, I think I can do it. And even if I don't, I'm. I love the work. And if you can call it work, I mean, for me, it's just something that I love mm. doing. So it doesn't really feel like work. So if I stay in my parents' lounge room working on the floor as my cutting table, I, I don't care. I'm still doing. I would have at least tried. And it's like you look at any person that is successful, you look at 
McDonald's or Disney or any, you know, these big companies, they all had to start from somewhere. And people thought Walt Disney was crazy when he did Snow White, but you, you look at Disney now. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think everything has to start somewhere. And um, I'm just grateful that I had the support behind me of my family and my friends and continue to have that support to push me forward and keep going. Mm. And the state, really, the state really got behind me, um, the local community. They're the reason that we're here and it's just as much their story as it is mine, really. So, how do you run a global client base from Adelaide? I mean, do they fly in only? Like, how do you, how, you know, do you, how do you get new clients? How do you work with them? It was sort of like a slow process starting off because it, we kind of did one step at a time. And keep in mind, you know, for the first couple of years, it was just me running the business. And, and I had, you know, a little bit of help from my parents and things, um, you know, where they could help me. But majority of it was me doing the designing, the cutting, the sewing, the appointments, the bookkeeping, the everything, the answering all the emails and all these things. So There'll be, there'll be plenty of people nodding right now. Yeah. Going, yeah, yeah, I know that. So, I was wearing myself very, very thin. But because of that, I had a lot of control. So, I was able to kind of plan out how I was going to tackle all these things. And I think when I took on my first international client, it was kind of, well, firstly, it started with Sydney. I had a client from Sydney and I Skyped with them. First. So, how did you, I mean, how did you find the clients? Like, they contacted me. How? How did, how did, how did they find <laughs> this out is about the thing. you? This is where I, I feel extremely, extremely lucky and blessed that um, some wonderful person put our photos up, came to one of our shows and posted the photos on Instagram and Pinterest, which I did not have at the time. And they went viral. And it was just one of those crazy things and those those images are still floating around yeah right um you know the our, our finale gown from our swan lake collection which was in 2010 which is when it kind of all started to no sorry 2011 um started to all explode from there it was one of the most pinned wedding dresses for the year wow and so i started getting emails from sydney and then new york and la and i thought how are these people i thought it was a mistake and so, the only logical thing I could think to do was to Skype with them because I had um, just come back from a year away in Italy. I was studying at the European Institute of Design and I was incredibly homesick and I was Skyping home every day. So, I was just like, oh, I'll just Skype them. And I did and it seemed quite easy. It was like they were in the room with me. I kind of held the sketchpad up to the computer and wow. then we did measurements and I got them to have a friend helping them and I, I guided them through. I sent them through my measurement diagrams and stuff and it it just worked. That must have been a big, big thing for them too, I imagine. Yeah. Doing it that way back yeah. then because that's you know, eight or nine years ago now. Mm -hmm. I mean, my daughter's got married last year. She chose a local designer here for a wedding dress, yeah, fittings and all those sorts of yeah. things. That's a big call to have somebody not in the room with you. Yeah. And um, I, initially, I said that to them, <laughs> but they were very keen on this dress. Yeah. And so, I said, okay, if you're sure, then- Let's do it. And then after it started, it, it worked amazingly and it fit her beautifully and she sent photos and she was so happy with it. More and more people then, you know, her friends were at the wedding and they wanted a dress and then it was just, it was a snowball effect. And now we've got it down to a fine art and thankfully, uh, you know, pattern making and fitting is something that is my area of expertise and something that I really am passionate about and I love. And again, is the whole purpose of the brand is to create garments for for people that fit them like a second skin so that's first and foremost our number one priority so knowing that process works for us and we can make it work then i think we can do anything yeah wow and it's just really as long as the clients have faith in us which which they do um you know i don't want to make a dress uh, an ugly dress and i don't want to make something that someone's not happy with and something that i'm not happy with so i'm just i'm when i'm consulting with any client whether they be overseas or in the studio with me um, because people do fly down as well but skype is just an option that we give them and why do they fly down is that because of, you talked before about the experience yeah they want the, that experience they mm. want to come into the atelier they want to have the fittings and the consults and you know i regardless of whether they're in-house or on skype i treat my clients exactly the same and regardless of their royalty or mm -hmm. if they're not royalty whoever they are they are treated with the utmost care and respect but also i guess i'm very um personal with them and just very i'm a very relaxed person i think they just feel at home here really so you've now built an organization it's not just you anymore mm -hmm. you've got some people working for you yeah 
How do you build that ethos through your company? I think starting out, it wasn't even something that I was conscious of mm-hmm. um, because I had no, I, this is my first job. I've never worked anywhere before. I didn't have any, I started Pally Sebastian when I was 17, so fresh out of high school. My experience is year 12 business studies mm-hmm. <laughs> and the business plan that I wrote for that. Um, obviously, the business plan has since changed and grown and all of that, but it wasn't, yeah, you know, working culture and things like that. Um, throughout the staff and that wasn't something that I initially thought of it was just something that kind of grew organically and um, I suppose our our culture here is very different to a lot of other businesses it's very much like a family um, because that's I guess the type of person I am and that's the way that I wanted to run the business I wanted it to be fun and I wanted it to be I wanted people to be passionate about their work and, and care about what they're doing and what they're making you know, there's can be times where there is a lot of pressure when we've got a show coming up or whatever it is, but everyone kind of rallies together and, and gets behind it. And, and they're not just there soullessly working because mm-hmm. you, you have to put your heart and soul into everything that you're making. And um, so, I, I feel that we've created a really... And, and it, it's something that we work on now because I guess we're a bit more conscious of it now, but it's something that we kind of work to preserve and, and keep going and, and, and foster that that kind of team environment and do you think that plays out in your engagements of your team with your customers if i asked your customers would they say yeah we feel a bit like part of the family yeah i think so i mean Mm. because like the a lot of the times like when we have the fittings a lot of the staff will come up and they'll see yeah and just the look on the client's face they turn around and they thank all the staff because they're the ones that have slaved over these dresses you know i remember when I, i first started when i hired my first staff member was kind of like biggest hardest decision i have ever had to make because at that point (laughs) i think i've relinquished a lot of that but i was very much a control freak because it was this thing this baby that i had built and i thought no one is going to be able to do the sewing the way that i do it and how do i trust and all these things so then it was taking that leap of faith and then training this person and then realizing that's actually it's okay it's okay yeah i can hire another person now i yeah. know oh, it's actually quite nice because i got some time to sleep but, <laughs> 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 but it's a big it's a big step both in terms of cost because you're you're yeah. putting on a full-time employee right that's a big jump for for most businesses yeah yeah but that control piece and more importantly that will they do it as good as i mm-hmm. will do it because i'm so passionate and invested in the brand and the customers is a massive step yeah and you know in in some cases, they're not going to do it the same way, but you have to train. I think we've realized that quite a while ago now, though. And regardless of how talented you are or what background you have or the skills that you have, when you walk through that door, you are fresh and you will learn our way. It's great if you've got that background knowledge and that, and we love taking on board new ideas and things, but we try and make sure that everyone is to the same standard and working. And the training probably takes about a good six to eight months here. Despite the background, despite, despite whether the they've background. come from you know, deep experience in industry or yeah. not. Because look, what we're doing here is couture. It's the highest, absolute high level of, of sewing. The techniques, the the processes that we do to create these gowns aren't what it what's taught here in australia it's not what is even seen here in australia and it's not even what's seen in some places in europe it's it's the high high level so regardless of whatever you've learned before great if you've got some background knowledge but our guaranteed our processes are different and much more time consuming and much more painstaking and laborious but it is what gives the 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 garments uh, the unique hand finish that's what sets you apart. Yeah. And that makes it even more difficult in terms of handing over control, doesn't it? Because you're trying to maintain such a high standard compared to everybody else. Absolutely. Mm. I mean, and I think because, again, the, the quality is absolute paramount. But now, because we have quality control in place and all these things and people and, and the team is in a really good space now that when there is there's enough of them that when a new person comes in they're they're able to be trained by a a number of people whereas before when it was just me having to sit and try and train it was it was tiring and it was hard and it probably took a lot longer 
but now because they're like immersed in it and everyone's on the same page. Um, and, you know, things still continue to change and grow and we're always finding new and better ways. And each each dress and each collection presents its own set of challenges and, and there's always a new way to, a better way to do something based on that design so that there are no rules, which mm. is kind of cool as well. So explain to listeners who perhaps don't understand um, your industry. You obviously create designs bespoke for customers but then you also have i think two shows a year Mm -hmm. where you design for for a particular show the industry as a whole you can kind of look at look at it as a pyramid and at the very top you have haute couture which is your like dior chanel those types of brands at present there's around only 13 houses that are officiated in haute couture so is that a a recognized certification or just what yes yeah recognize certification in Paris that you know there's and then you have your there's different levels to it so there's your full accredited members and then you've got your you know your invited members um so I think all up in haute couture showing during Paris or haute couture fashion week on schedule is about 25 okay at at the most it kind of changes season to season but it's about 25 and are they only based in Paris or are there no so there's it depends on the level so um the true haute couture is, is your Dior and Chanel. They are French brands yes. and they are made completely in Paris. Um, then you have your other designers like Valentino mm-hmm. that are haute couture brands, but they are made in Rome and then they showcase in Paris and parts are done in Paris. Um, so, it's the different, the different levels. Um, my dream and my dream for the brand has always been to reach haute couture and that's kind of when I used to say that at Around age 14, 15, people would go, okay, <laughs> sure thing. Sure. Um, where we fall into it, where we are in couture, so that is the level below that, I guess, and they're the brands that are doing the, the, the custom-made garments. So, any, anything that is haute couture or couture is you still have a fashion show, you have a seat. It's kind of the very start of the fashion calendar. The collection is shown. From there, the clients can order that piece from that collection from that collection but that piece will then be made for you and then no one else so it's about exclusivity it's about craftsmanship it's about quality so it's a very particular sort of process so that you're not going to a party and another woman is wearing the same gown as you you don't have to worry about that because you've got the only one so they are like pieces of art then beneath that you have your altamoda high fashion which is still your your very luxury but maybe there's it's maybe it's tailored to you, but it's not custom made for so you. The design's not you. Yeah, yet. you're you're not able to say, oh, can I change the sleeve? Can I change the color? It's it doesn't have those um, that customization. Um, and then you have your your high fashion ready to wear. That's your you know your big designer label still, but they are purchased from the store. And then you have this sort of trickle down effect of your ready to wear and, and, and your fast fashion after that. So we are kind of aiming, I guess, for the very top, Absolutely. which is very ambitious, I know. But again, like I said, it's, um, it's wanting to be a part of that, um, that idea of supporting quality and craftsmanship in an art form because that's how I see it. That's how I see fashion. So, um, so, so I imagine the shows are pretty big for you every year, both in terms of importance but also in terms of workload yes incredible um the the shows are important because there's the saying you're only as good as your last collection yeah so that um with that comes a huge amount of pressure like you cannot believe um particularly i think it's gotten worse as as the brand has grown and as the staff numbers have grown (laughs) i feel the pressure (laughs) because i have to make sure that you know the designs are popular and, and people want to wear them because if people don't want to wear them and buy them, there is no brand yeah, <laughs> and there right. is no need for us. So, whereas I think when I was starting out, I didn't have to think or worry about, and I try not to worry about it too much, but because I think that kind of can stifle the creativity, but the reality is it's there in the back of your mind. Um, but then the workload is, it's insane because you have to do your clients and your reg- your regular work, but then also you've got this show on top of it. Mm. And I'm very much a perfectionist and I'm not just worried about the clothes. I'm worried about how the models walk and the shoes and how the hair is going to sit and what makeup. Are we having three eyelashes on the end or four eyelashes on the end? Uh, what song and what, what's the music? What's the order? I'll probably sit and help mix the music myself and I've got the running order and 
all these things and, and what's what's the booklet that's sitting on the seat? Oh, I don't trust anyone to do that. I'll do the artwork for that and I'll go to the printer and get it done. Um, I've got my team here to help me, but, you know, these, these are, the, are we going with this shade of blue or that shade of blue for the booklet? It's, there is a lot of work. It's, it's basically like having a wedding every every six months yep. with 20 or 30 brides yep. <laughs> because that, yeah, that's right. honestly how, how in-depth it is. Now I'm freaking out. <laughs> I went through one of those in September. I understand what goes yeah, that, involved. That's the right? of, I get it. Yeah. Like my, my friend's getting married at the moment and I, I kind of just look at it. I'm like, this is almost a piece of cake compared to a fashion show because you've just got one person you have to, or, and the bridesmaids, but yeah. that's, that's easy. <laughs> So, do you get to an end of a show with that level of involvement and go, yeah, I did it? Or do you always walk away going, I could do something better? Yeah, you never, I, I don't think I've ever walked away. Bar once, sort of, I'd say 90% happy. And it's not that you're unhappy. It's, it's, a, it's a weird thing. It's, it's not dissatisfaction. It's just knowing that there's always something better, always something that you can improve on, which is a, also a good feeling because it drives you to keep going. Um, the the one that I would say I've walked away from and just been really content and happy with was our Disney collection. Um, that was a collaboration that we did with Disney, and that's I'm, I think I'm that is more a sentimental thing for me okay. um, because I'm a huge Disney fan. So I I kind of walked away from that show. Although there were definitely a million things I would want to change, and I wish I could do it over again, um, just so I could make it absolutely perfect. But it it was still perfect, and um, I loved everything every second of that experience and even though it was at times stressful and, and really hard because I wanted it to be perfect not just for me but for the people that were seeing it it was just such an enjoyable experience mm -hmm. and I wish I could do that collection and that show every season because yeah. it was so much fun but also fashion has to keep moving forward and we have to keep moving forward. As to Bill. So, where does your personal validation come from? Does it come from the design process? Does it come from, you know, the outcome that you see or the client feedback or the staff? The, like where does it come, where it does can it come be from? the smallest things, you know, the, the look on a client's face when they put the dress on. How about? Just seeing the fit. The fit of the waist and the corset. Like, you know, when, you, when you've got something and it just fits perfectly, I'm happy. And all I can do is stare at it. Or a client walking around in a dress and you're just seeing how it flows and just the movement of the fabric. I'm very much in, like, like I said, I love Disney. I love animation, all those things. So I love movement. Um, I love seeing how fabric moves. So just that for me, seeing like if you've got a nice chiffon skirt or a Georgette skirt and seeing how that's flowing and moving. I love that. I love going into the, the sewing room and, and seeing the girls do something on the mannequin and it's, and it's perfect when something is perfect and seeing their satisfaction and my satisfaction like that. Um, hearing client feedback as well. It's just, it's, it's the smallest things, you know, some days driving past the studio and going, that's my studio. That's pretty cool. Or, or watching, watching one of the shows back might be months later and just seeing it and going, uh, it's kind of like an out of body sort of thing and you're watching it as someone else it's it's very you, strange you, i mean your designs are obviously on quite famous people you've had yeah <laughs> you've had you've had gowns and yeah academy awards and in fact i think that's tonight isn't it yeah we didn't get any today you've had academy awards and you see quite famous people yeah that must be a huge sense of satisfaction but when it's on the other side of the world does it do you still, do you, still you watch it as a as it, there's sort of a disconnect and you kind of look, you kind of sometimes look at it as I remember when we were making that, but then you also look at it as Heidi Klum's wearing our dress. Yeah. That's weird. Yeah. Or Heidi Klum, Heidi Klum looks great. Yeah. Oh, it's our dress. That's it's because of us. <laughs> we, we, we help with that. I mean, yeah, she's naturally pretty yeah, great anyway, she's, right? She's but pretty good by herself. Yeah. yeah right. it, it's, it's a very, I, I can't even put it into words. It's a very strange and surreal feeling. And even walking out at the end of a fashion show, and and taking the bow and people are crying and oh wow cheering and clapping and and you know friends and family are in that and they were at the first show and they were in my parents lounge room when i was making dress <laughs> you know so that they have been there from the beginning and to kind of get to where we are now it's it's just a very surreal strange and wonderful experience mm. i don't really don't know how to put it into words but it's it's humbling and um I don't know. I'm I'm always taken back. I think to those early days, and I think the the thought of that and the the dreams and the aspirations I had then are still so strong today. And that's kind of what 
propels me mm. forward. I meant to ask you about your early days. Where does the name Paolo Sebastian come from? I get asked this all the time. It's such a mystery for people. <laughs> so, Paolo is just Paul. In, in Italian, yeah. Yeah, and Sebastian's my middle name. Oh, there you go. It's, yeah, it's so, so simple. I came up with the name when I was 12. <laughs> And it was like, should I call it this or should I call it that? And my friends said, oh, no, Pally Sebastian sounds good. Yeah, go with that. Yeah, go with that. Good, done. <laughs> yep, it's available. Yeah, Great. done, tick. And then, and the logo I came up with in year 11 IP design. And um, no, it was art, art and design. And I remember printing off all these different fonts and then tweaking some. And I just went around the classroom. And got people to put a vote on which one. <laughs> and that one won. So, that's the one we started for, for all your year 11 students out there, school is useful. Yeah, school that's is very – well, I used I mean, every single subject I used to kind of build the brand. And wow. I, you know, like, like I said, the business studies assignment and English, we had to do a report. I did a report on Paolo Sebastian. Art, we had to – Create catalog. I did Paolo Sebastian's catalog. I did the logo for Paolo Sebastian. So I left year twelve at CBC, and I was good to go. Ready to go. Yeah, yeah brilliant. In fact, it was halfway through year twelve because um, the I launched Paolo Sebastian as a part of my um, year twelve extension studies assignment. Right. That was in July of two thousand and seven, and I got a full page in the newspaper the next day from that show. And so, what does launch mean? I had always been going on about wanting to be a fashion designer and wanting to start my own label. One of my teachers came up to me when we were doing the subject selections and she said, there's a subject that you can do, which is basically a plan your own topic. You can do whatever you want. I think you should have a fashion show. I thought, okay, cool. And I knew nothing about what it took to put on a fashion show, what it involved. I just knew it was something I really had to do and wanted to do. And so, I went about organizing it. We were raising money for Canteen, um, the cancer charity. Mm -hmm. I had my all my friends that I had made dresses for over the years, school formal dresses and things. Um, and at that time, I wasn't charging anyone for sewing or you know making dresses or anything. So, I called in all the favors. They all had to model for me in the show. So, I didn't have to worry about models. And I began making a collection. And I thought we'd be maybe lucky to get 100 people rock up to this show and I actually was really scared because I remember going to see the venue for the first time and it was so big and I thought this is going to be an embarrassment I'm going to be a joke a laughing stock I thought oh it's too late to back down now we just have to run with it and my friends mums everyone they were all there helping sewing buttons on and doing hems the the week before and on the night, we ended up having 660 people turn up. Oh, my goodness. We had a line down the, <laughs> down the street of people because we had sold tickets um, because it was to raise money. But then we had extra people just turn up on the night. So, I think we had sold around six, well, 500 or so and then, you know, more, more came on the night. People were standing up at the back like you couldn't, you couldn't move. It was packed. And, yeah, we got a, a full page in color in the advertiser the next day. and. It was it was born from then. I had wedding dress orders starting to come through and I still had half of my exams to study for because I promised my parents, I said, after this show, I will focus on the rest of my subjects and because I had exams and I had all that. And, and I think they were a little bit concerned that I was going to fail <laughs> because I had I, I devoted everything to this show. Yeah. But it all worked out really well. I didn't fail. <laughs> I, 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 imagine there's, I imagine there's people who've been to that show and said, I was there. A lot, I, of, I, a lot, a lot there. of people still say that I to me. I was there at that first show and look what it's become now. So, you talked before about perfectionism, which is not uncommon in people who start their own businesses. Yours is probably at the extreme end of the spectrum. Yes. And, you, and, your, and your product and your, your business shows that. How do you not burn staff out along the way driving that perfectionism through your business? Because not, not every staff member can work with that. No. Um, how does that not happen in your business? Or has um, it happened? I think, no, I think because to work, to want to work in this industry, you have to be somewhat of a perfectionist yourself. And so everyone that works here, they, they want to do the best job because they can see the type of work going on around them and no one wants to let the team down. So, everyone is 100% devoted to that. The issue is time and that's where it can get – you can burn out and you can get tired. and Because of the be, amount of hours that you're putting in or, or – because, Just because I guess the 
you have to do something that maybe in in some cases would take you a week to do and you've only got a couple of days to do it so it's that that pressure but the the good the really good ideas come at the last minute is that right and okay. I, I don't know why it's like a cruel joke <laughs> is that is that the build upon so you've got an idea and then something else comes and then you build upon that and then and then eventually right you've got all of this stuff that sits in the background of you know through the design process mm. and then Bingo. I think so. Like, you know, um, I remember one example um, when we were showcasing in Paris the very first year. This is back in 2016. I left here. It was like 2 a.m. And I was driving home. The collection was nearly done. And just in the car ride on the way home, a dress popped into my head. And so, I had to turn around and come back to work Did you really? so that I could sketch it out and, you know, put all that because I knew exactly what fabric – because I, I had been working on this thing and it it kind of wasn't coming together. So, I and I scrapped the idea, but then it meant that we wouldn't have a short dress in the collection. Right? Yeah. Um, and I was like, oh, it's fine, it's fine. I kind of just tried to let it go. And then because I wasn't thinking about it, Wow. It worked out and it ended up being one of the most popular dresses right? in, in the whole collection. So, wow. sometimes those things happen. But then, you know, in order to make that dress a reality and, and get that complete, it, it's a lot of work. So, we were actually hand sewing that dress while we were in Paris. So, it's, um, <laughs> but, you know, it, it worked out great. But then when you do have that throw in of this last minute rush, when it doesn't happen all the time, people actually get quite excited. Yeah. And I actually, I remember we had um, we had a dress to do for Poppy Delavine for the NGV Gala last year in November. And it was actually such a rush. <laughs> it's really strange, but it was such a rush. And we were all saying how exciting it was because it's like, is it going to, it's this thing of, is it going to get done? And how's it going to look? And in some cases, you don't even get to see it finished on the mannequin because it's you're just trying you know you're just working to get it done so yes so so because that's not the norm because it's not the norm it becomes an exciting thing yes but but if it was the norm and it it was the norm for you know maybe back in 2015 we got to a point where that was the Mm -hmm. norm all the time and i could see it was like it was hard and we had to we had to make some changes and we did so, and we're still going through that, you know, the, things can always be run better yeah, and sure. can go more smoothly. And every time you do something, you think, okay, let's put something in place so that this can be improved or that can be improved. So, we're all conscious of that. And so, I think that's just done through meetings and, and training days and just so every, we can get everyone on the same page and people can contribute their ideas. Um, so, if there are any issues that anyone is having we can kind of try and combat them straight away. I imagine running such an exciting, amazing business that has such great clients and great designs, there must be a lot of pressure or pull to bring it out of Australia into more traditional markets, you know, Milan or Paris or New York. Yeah, I mean, I get asked all the time when I'm moving, even still, which is... I imagine people would like to have you on their payroll and those sorts of things as well. Yeah. How do you resist... Um, because because it's a massive it's a massive boost in validation of your capability when you have you know those people and those fashion houses etc want to have you over there. It's it's just not something that's part of the plan. Um, like I I know in my gut where we're meant to go and where we're meant to be, and if it just doesn't feel right, I I already know that it's not the right time or place or anything for us. Look. Of course, I would love to have a studio or something in Paris, but we will remain based here. Yeah. So, regardless of, you know, of course, I want Palace Fashion to be a complete global brand, but the headquarters will remain here in Adelaide because that's part of our DNA and part of our story and Mm. the reason why we exist. Does the distance give you an advantage because you don't become wrapped up in what everyone else is doing? Yeah, I think in some cases it definitely has given over the years a point of difference. Because people remember, one, they remember Australia because they go, especially in Europe, they go, wow, Australia so far, beautiful beaches. I didn't realize that they did fashion too. And then and then also Adelaide because it's a beautiful sounding name and they maybe haven't heard because they know of Sydney or Melbourne, um, but they might not necessarily know of Adelaide. So, it's kind of that discovery and I think that's what's great about fashion is is that discovering something new. Yeah. So for a lot of people and a lot of clients, they feel like, especially the the clients that feel like they have brought us over 
to say the Middle East, they feel that sense of discovery and that sense yeah. of connection that there's that connection to us, I guess, that they have brought something to the community that is wow. new. And that's exciting. And so I think there's there's definitely always I always get asked when we're going to move and when we're going to pack up and move to, to Paris or wherever it is. The answer to that is we won't be. We will be hopefully one day opening something sure. there as well as but the headquarters and, and the production, mm. particularly for the couture, will remain here. I imagine if you were a 17-year-old in Paris and you decided to start your own label, it would be, oh, here's another one. And I imagine that you know, having having done that here, it's given you the ability to really set set your own path, your own mm-hmm. course, and be and have that point of differentiation compared to others. Yeah, well, I mean, look, I I lived in Milan as I said for a year. I was nineteen, and although it was an amazing experience, the school was incredible. The teachers, every everything about that year was amazing. But at the same time, I couldn't wait to get out of there because I was just another kid in mm-hmm. Milan studying fashion. And every person that I met, they're like, oh, you're Australian. Let me guess. What are you doing here? You're here to study fashion or you're a model or you're a photographer. Well, it's nice that, nice that they said you were a model. Yeah, too. well, I was like, I'm definitely not a model. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's just, you know, what people assume. And it it is hard. And even Sydney and Melbourne, it's there, there are so many people competing to to do that and it it is it's i guess tiring whereas i can be here and i can live a relatively normal life um and feel energized and feel calm and inspired i guess and knowing that we're, we're doing something that is different and it's yes it's been challenging there's certainly challenges that go with it um because mainly because of distance um and also because i guess particularly when I started out, there wasn't much of a fashion industry here to speak of. That has since changed, thankfully. So, I guess that I think the number one challenge that I faced when I was starting out as a 17-year-old was that people didn't take you seriously just purely because you're from Adelaide. Yeah. And that used to make me really angry because I thought, why should it matter whether Mm. I'm from Paris or Milan or Adelaide? It it doesn't mean I know any less. It's it's what's in the head, right? Yeah, exactly. It's the design that should be the the important element. And so, that, that used to frustrate me. And also because of my age, because people would think, you know, 17 years old, what do you know? But also, I had started studying pad making drafting from the age of 12 younger i was sewing from age three so i had a lot of experience when i was 17 i had already years and years worth of experience and so that that used to kind of be one of the the hurdles that i faced as a a, as a really young designer Mm. i love the fact that you had two major things batting against you really in terms of your age and your location, I imagine there's plenty of people looking now going, hmm, I might have, should have taken some notice. But, it's, but it is that question of, well, why not? Yeah, why, why, exactly. Why, why not? Why, why can't I be successful here? Why can't I drive a great business here? Why can't I, do, why can't I you know, use those things to my advantage rather yeah, than you see them as a disadvantage? I think for a lot of people as well, there wasn't that blueprint. That was the other thing. It hadn't been done before. And so that there was nothing that they could compare it to. And that's and- the piece that makes me angry, right? Because because really out of no blueprint comes some great, amazing things, yeah. right? Because yeah. if we only ever stick within the blueprint, then they will only do incremental changes, not great leaps forward. Yeah. And because they would, people try and give me advice, they, they really couldn't because there was nothing that they could go by because no one was doing couture. And they would give me advice maybe that suited someone who was in fast fashion or ready to wear. And they would say, you know, you have to go to Sydney and you have to do this and you have to do that. And I'm like, hang on a minute that that is really nothing about the couture industry at all and because people weren't educated on couture they would get they would see me not following their advice and get frustrated with that and or or, you know wonder why I was doing what I was doing Mm. and the way I was doing it but I knew that it was right for my industry and so that it was just kind of constant like in the beginning but just butting heads and even with my style my style was very romantic and nostalgic and I guess pretty i want to make beautiful things i want to make things that look nice um that was an issue for a lot of people as well because they're like it's not it's not edgy enough it's not modern enough it's not this it's not that that's fine there are other brands that are doing those things we're different because of this and Mm -hmm. so it, it was just that constant battle i think initially to kind of just 
prove that I, I was on the right path mm. or knew, I knew I knew what I was doing. Mm. One of the things many organizations face the challenge of when designing something new is staying true to the design that they've you know, come up with and mm-hmm. iterated with versus taking feedback from clients. Yeah. Where does that fit for you? Do the designs come first? Do the client feedback come first? Do they work with each other? When it's collection, collection is pretty much solely my ideas and inspiration. Obviously, you know, I work with on, on it with the team, but and I'll ask for their feedback and we have to take in to consideration construction on all those things, but essentially collections are purely me. And and does the inspiration come entirely from within or it you can be from anywhere. From anywhere from like and each seat, you know, we have to come up with two <laughs> two a year. And look, some brands they do twelve a year or more. Yeah. So um but yeah, it's so we've done a, a lot of different things. It can be from art, it can be from music. Like we just did um the Nutcracker, which was inspired by the score um that Tchaikovsky wrote for the ballet. The season before that we did Disney, which was everything that I loved as a child yep. put into one collection. We've done The Snow Maiden, which was a story that we adapted. We've done Reverie, which was a collection inspired by the work of Alphonse Mucha, who was an artist. Um, he kind of developed the the way for Art Nouveau. Um, we just did The Starlet, which is kind of inspired by old Hollywood and the stories of Hedy Lamarr and um, Betty Davis and... and um, Joan Crawford and Judy Garland. So, it, 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 so yeah, anywhere, and I was yeah. Re- researching their lives and everything. So, it, it can really be from anywhere, history, anywhere. So, that though can be very daunting. And that, I think the most scary part is is deciding on a theme. Right. Because if that idea doesn't work or doesn't translate to an audience, your collection is it has already failed. That's scary. But then when you're working with a client... I guess you're, it's a collaboration between you and the client. So, particularly, you know, we do a lot of uh, wedding gowns. Yeah, I think for a lot of evening wear, a lot of people tend to adapt from a collect from the collection. And but with with bridal gowns, it's sometimes you're creating something completely new from scratch, um, and you're not even looking at any embroideries or colors or anything from that has been seen in the collections. So it's really kind of working with them, firstly to work out what fit and shape is going to best look. On them and, and highlight their their figure, um, and that in itself can sometimes be an educational process because if the client has never had anything made for them before, it's kind of explaining it's it's a, it's a different process, it's a slower process. Yeah, if if they're not used to that, um, particularly the clients overseas though, maybe they've had a bit more experience in couture, so they they get it and they yeah. understand how it works and they know that this takes time or this is how that works mm. but it's fittings and the the design will grow and evolve and change yeah. throughout the process and it's, it all starts with a sketch really so it's it's i guess getting one getting to know them the client and understanding their needs and their inspiration and their wants and their desires and then being able to put that and their personality into, into a design mm. and something that also represents us that we can be proud of yeah so, outside of the design theme or the design element for the show, which sounds like it's a pretty scary process, worrying process, I yeah, suppose, more to, worrying, sure, not to, yeah. to, get, to get it right. What else in, in building and growing a business has challenged you along the way? I think the thing that challenges me the most probably is that I am not, I've never felt that I am a natural boss. If that makes any so what sense. It, so, what does a natural boss look like? I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I think I think because I'm a very creative person, I'm not necessarily a very organized person in the sense that, I mean, it, it's creative organization and creative chaos. But, you know, I remember the first time I sat down with the accountants and my head was spinning and it kind of just all... I'm getting, I've gotten better at it over the years and understanding and wrapping my head around it. But none of that stuff ever interested me in mm. the beginning. I was like, this is so boring. I just want to design dresses. You can't be super right brain and super left brain. No, you it's can't. But not, I've had to be happen. for the last couple of years. And <laughs> let me tell you, it is straining <laughs> because I have to walk out of one room, which I've just had a business meeting in and then walk into it. My clients just arrived. And so I'm sitting down and I'm sketching a dress for them. So, it's it's definitely been something that I've had to adapt to, but I'm actually enjoying it. And I listen to business podcasts now 
and oh read books gosh. now and it's like who is this, who is this <laughs> what person have <laughs> what have i become <laughs> um but i think because i see the results of that and of growing the business i, I think because in, in the very early years because it was just me i didn't have to worry about meetings and and all those things but now as the business has grown you know we're a staff of 18 now so i have to be a leader and i think leading and managing people is two very different things absolutely the leading, great. I'm happy to do that. Love that. I think it's that, that I think kind of sort of comes naturally to me, but the managing is not so much fun and just organizing meetings. And I like, I like the idea of organizing a meeting, but then when you're actually planning out and writing all the paperwork and all those things and the booklets, and when you've got to make 18 booklets, there's a lot of booklets to make. Uh, you <laughs> like making booklets. Just, you just need to add your creative clearance. Yeah, I've got to get them foiled being... and, you know, they're going to be $30 booklets by then. Yeah, <laughs> but maybe not. I'll be worried more about the cover than what's actually in them. So, um, that I think has been hard. But then I also try to, to make it fun as well because when we will have a business meeting, I might also tack on a fashion history lesson to that with the, with the staff. So, yeah. we're doing something fun as well as um, educational. Are you worried about a time where the business grows so big that that's your life and you've lost the creative client element? Sometimes, um, having spoken with people who are doing very well and or, you know, people from Vogue and things and they, they talk about how stressed other designers are and I think I don't, I don't want to lose the passion. So, that's, I guess, a little bit of a fear that's always there but i think because i'm very restrained and i know my limits and if if something is getting too much i'll step back and focus on what is important to me and i won't let i don't know the the silly business things kind of worry me and i've i've got again i've got a very good team around me that are here to support me and support the business and they'll also jump in when it is getting too much and they'll kind of try and help share the load. And We've got to remember why you always started this business. You didn't start so you could become a great meeting organiser no. and put great booklets for meetings together. No. And, and uh, you know, that's not why you started. No, exactly. And I, I'm most used to the business when I'm designing mm. and that's just what I try and keep reminding myself. And at, at the point that we're at, the reality is I have to do some of both yep. and I just have to get over that and suck it up and, and just get on with it because it, there's no time for me to sit in the corner and, and have a freak out about it because that's not going to get anyone anywhere. So, I have to come up with the designs and then I also have to run a business and that's just that. That's and it's, it it's my business at the mm. end of the day. But I do have a great support team and, yeah. you know, I will <laughs> we'll lean on them when I need to. Um, and they're, they're always there for me and I'm so grateful for that. Yeah, and good. they have been wonderful. And that's the only reason the business has been able to grow is because I have them mm. behind me to help me where I don't have the skills or, or fall down. And I think, you know, it, it's that same thing. Whereas if you're if you're the smartest person in the room, you're doing the wrong thing. You need people around you that excel in areas that you don't. Mm. Um Obviously, if there's someone here that's a better designer than me, then we've got an issue good, because, good, because good then I that. shouldn't be doing what I'm doing. Well, well, that, well, that means they're in the wrong room. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, the, in terms of craftsmanship and, and, and running a business and, and knowing what to do and PR and, mm. and, and, all, those, and all those things, I've got, I've got great people who, mm. who have an understanding of that and they, they know the business just as well as me and they know what's right for the business. So, I trust them to make calls and and make decisions yeah um they'll obviously consult with me but i i feel like i've built a, a really strong team that we're all in it together and we're all wanting to see it succeed and the business success is just as much their success as it is yeah. mine brilliant so what, what excites you about the future um i think the possibilities i think anything is really possible you know we're not even a quarter of the way of where we need to be um i'm waiting for that day that i can be you know walking down the street overseas and you see Paolo Sebastian shoes in the shop window or someone someone walking down the street with a Paolo Sebastian bag that I'm excited for I I just I love luxury and I love that experience and I want people to have that experience I want them to be excited by you know being able to maybe go into David Jones or wherever it is that we're sold and go into that our stores and have that 
that moment that I have when I go into, say, Dior or Chanel or Valentino, that exciting feeling of, I, I don't even know what that feeling is, but it's that sense of, of a dream that that's what I want to create for people. That's what I get when I look at beautiful fashion and go into stores and even just see, seeing the shop fit out. It's all those details and things like the way that they present you the coffee and you know, the spoon matches this and that, and it, it matches the wallpaper. It's, it's all those little things that kind of go together. That really excites me. That's what I want for my brand. And that's what I want for people to experience. So, and with that comes a lot of work, comes a lot of meetings <laughs> about things. <laughs> it doesn't just happen, but yeah, I think we can get there. There's definitely, I think what is great and what the past couple of years have shown is that there is a strong brand aesthetic and there are people that respond to that aesthetic and they are they want the brand and they want more of the brand which is great we just now have to meet the demand yeah brilliant it's an exciting place to be yeah so i mean we, we get asked every day can we buy the shoes from the runway can can we buy this ready to wear do you have where are your stores where are this and that so there's that there's the demand mm. um you know we did um a collaboration with Canteen again um, this year. Oh, wow. Um, I designed um, their bandana for Bandana Day, um, which was nice because it was kind of like just after our 10 years. And because my first show was to raise money for okay. Canteen, mm -hmm. um, they approached me and I immediately said yes. So, we designed the bandana. I ended up selling out online um, across Australia within like a few, a few hours of going on sale. Wow. Whilst that was a great feeling because I knew that we had raised so much money, I also thought, wow, that that means the brand has such a strong pull and strong presence that if we had products like that to 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 go up online, it would be it would be so wonderful. Mm -hmm. So and and people were posting about these bandanas because they had a piece of Paolo Sebastian yeah. and the way that they were wearing them on their handbags, on their hair, <laughs> all, all these different ways. It was so cool and people were so excited and uh, that's a great feeling. That's yeah. that satisfaction of this is why we do what we do. Yeah, brilliant. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for sharing your Thanks story. Thanks for having it's me. Been, uh, it's been a great journey. We're going to take some photos after this. Cool. To show our listeners <laughs> that we're actually here <laughs> and uh, have a bit of a look around your uh, wonderful place here. So, congratulations on building such a successful business. Thank you so much and thank you for having me. Cheers. I reckon there's a bunch of entrepreneurs out there listening to this who are nodding their heads the whole way through. Even if you're from a different industry, the challenges that Paul faced and the drive for perfection and the elements of learning to run a business will resonate with many of you. I loved the visual imagery when he was explaining what it was like to showcase for two fashion shows in Paris each year. It's like organising a world-class wedding every six months, including making all the dresses for 20 or 30 brides. Amazing. If you want to find out more about Paul and Paolo Sebastian, I've got some great Info and links in the show notes and on our website www.theselfmadetheory.com. Until next time, keep innovating, overcoming, and prospering.